you need to solve all of these problems just to sell this product and get it from where you've produced it to where your consumers are located. I'm John Manis, investor at Basis Set Ventures, and this is Future Proof Episode 12. We're digging into the future of commerce infrastructure with our board partner and former COO of Shippo, Catherine Stewart. Catherine was a key leader at Shippo during some of its most pivotal years of growth. Welcome, Catherine. It's super exciting to have not only a commerce expert in the house, uh, but also a newly minted member of the Basis Set family. Why don't you start off by introducing yourself to the Future Proof community and give folks a sense of your background? Sure. And thank you for having me. And it's a, a pleasure to be a part of the Basis Set community. I was most recently the COO at Shippo, where I ran the marketing, the sales, the business development and carrier relations, and then also customer support, customer success, and HR. And then on an interim basis, I also ran product management for about six months. So a fairly broad overview of different functions. Before Shippo, I was at Automatic as the CBO there, and I was there for about five and a half years, more focused on the go-to-market side of the business and also M&A and led the acquisition of WooCommerce. So those are two different areas that I know that we might want to dig in today, and I look forward to talking more. Very much so. If you were to just explain to folks or even an alien, like how much commerce has changed over the course of the last 12 months, what would be your, your highlights? What do you think the biggest inflection points have been in the space? Yeah, it's been a constantly evolving market and COVID has had a tremendous impact on the adoption of e-commerce and the shift towards uh, more innovation in that space as well as a result. And so there has been so much change. And in the last sort of six to nine months, also a bit of a slowdown relative to what we had been seeing thanks to just comparing year over year against a lockdown year. So while things are slowing a bit, overall, the trajectory is still up and to the right. It's just that some companies are starting to to see a little bit less of a growth in their, their users and sometimes in the revenue as well, if those two are directly related. Yeah, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I would say on our side, we're not really seeing a slowdown in the number of startups, even though there might be a little bit of a, a post-COVID slowdown in e-commerce more broadly are you seeing that as well? And where are you seeing the most growth, particularly from a startup perspective? Yeah, I am seeing a tremendous amount of innovation. I think that makes sense because the the long-term trend is towards growth in this space. And I don't see that reversing at any time in the near future. And that means that there is opportunity to continue to make this a smoother experience for both larger companies as well as the individual uh, small businesses and mid-sized merchants that are serving uh, individual consumers. So depending on which part of the market we're talking about, whether we're talking about fulfillment partners or e-commerce platforms or the merchants directly, there are tremendous different opportunities in each of those segments in terms of willing customers who are eager to simplify their operations, provide better solutions for their customers, And that means that there uh, are dollars flowing and a lot of opportunities for new solutions to come out and appeal to those audiences. Are there any categories in particular or even individual startup case studies that you're particularly bullish about, just given that you follow the ecosystem so closely? Yeah, I think that there are some overarching trends. I think that within the e-commerce platform market, 
And by that, I mean Shopify, WooCommerce, Magento, Squarespace, Wix. A lot of those are also e-commerce specific, but uh, website creators that are also getting into the e-commerce space. And then you have more traditional companies that have launched e-commerce solutions as well, such as Lightspeed, MailChimp's getting into the space, more from the email marketing side. So there is this tremendous shift of all companies trying to provide e-commerce solutions to merchants. And I think that if you are able to serve those e-commerce platforms and to make it easier for them to transact, for their customers to transact, you're basically serving the aggregators of these SMBs with solutions that make it possible for them to provide great tools to their merchants and also to participate in that. So if they're able to monetize some of that GMV, all the better. And I think that with the the dramatic increase in sales from, from companies like Shopify over the last five years, as well as all these new players that are coming into the market, there is a, a significant opportunity for startups to provide solutions. Well, what I think is so interesting about this is even though these are all independently companies that are serving the supply chain and commerce ecosystem, each of these companies in effect has its own supply chain. It's just a digital supply chain in the form of infrastructure. And from our perspective, we're just seeing a massive growth in the number of companies that we're seeing building some of this infrastructure for a lot of these fast growing e-commerce businesses. Where is that something that you're seeing? And then, you know, kind of beyond that, given all of your experience, as you mentioned, where do you think the biggest opportunities lie from an e-commerce perspective so that each of these businesses doesn't have to reinvent the wheel every time they want to launch a new product to market? Great questions. And yes, this is something that I'm seeing and having come from Shippo, that is something that Shippo was participating in directly. So yes, these e-commerce platforms have their own set of needs and they need to simplify their operations as much as possible. So if we're going to call that the digital operations, if you just take shipping, if one e-commerce company, we'll just call it WooCommerce, we'll stick with some examples that I know and love. If WooCommerce or Shopify has to integrate with different shipping companies for every single geography in which they have customers, you can imagine the complexity and the difficulty for them to both uh, offer those integrations, say on an app store, or if they're doing something deeper, uh, but then to also ensure that the experience is quality. It just, it requires a fair amount of overhead and it doesn't always ensure a great customer experience. So the ability to plug into a universal API, and I know that Rudder recently announced Very much a, so. yeah. another series and they are in a similar space. Anything that enables these companies to, to be able to connect to many different solutions through a single API and to know that that quality is highly reliable, I think is, is pretty valuable. So let's dig into APIs in particular, because I think that is a key piece of the overall infrastructure ecosystem. Let's dig a little bit more into, into Shippo and try to understand what really led that to be successful from an API perspective. Why don't you explain folks a little bit of background on, on Shippo more broadly and their product for folks that may not know, and then what made that API as successful as it was? Sure. So Shippo has two different audiences and therefore two different solutions. One is the individual SMB merchant or mid-market merchant that is shipping goods to customers and then making it easy for them to integrate with different carriers so that they can say, all right, I have a package that weighs one and a half pounds. It needs to arrive in two days. Which are the different carriers that 
can do that for me. What are the different price points and which one makes the most sense? Shippo will also provide you with discounted rates based on pre-negotiated volume-based discounts with each of those carriers. And then Shippo will also provide you with tracking information and a potential returns label just so that the entire process is easier for you as an SMB or mid-market merchant to manage. So that is the that is the product for those for for that audience. On the other hand, Shippo provides uh, a similar solution, but more API first as opposed to a user interface first that appeals to e-commerce platforms and fulfillment partners such as 3PLs, WMSs, OMSs, IMSs. We like to call those XMSs because there are uh, so there many, are many acronyms in this space. <laughs> and they usually end with MS, which stands for management system. And then there are also the peer-to-peer marketplaces. So that would be Mercari or Depop or uh, Poshmark and the Real Real. So that is another category as well. And all of those need to also connect to lots of different carriers and be able to provide solutions to their customers, which they may choose to white label or which they may choose to offer as a as maybe four or five different solutions so that customers can have that choice. So there are lots of different ways in which those larger SMB aggregators, we can call them, but they are enterprise companies for the most part, will use the product, but they are doing at the end of the day, the same thing where they want to be able to connect to all these different carriers and offer that to their users. So the, the Shippo API is, is one where it's one to many on both sides. It's a single API that works across a lot of these different platforms so that merchants can connect to store, whether it's on WooCommerce or Shopify or Magento, and also so that you can connect to FedEx, DHL, USPS, and then at least 90 other carriers as well. Does Shippo see itself as a data provider or do they sit deep enough into the actual transaction itself where they're able to take a, a portion of that shipping transaction? They're taking a portion of the shipping transaction. I think that's so interesting, particularly because a lot of the, the APIs we're seeing for commerce haven't really been able to wed themselves deep enough into any given transaction where they can actually scale by taking a fee versus simply serving data. Do you think that that's a prerequisite for success? Like if, if Shippo wasn't able to do that, do you think the market wouldn't, would have been big enough in order to build a venture scale business? Or was it kind of a, a requirement that you be able to integrate deep enough into the transaction to actually take a fee in addition to providing that data? For Shippo's business, I think it is a prerequisite. And that, as you mentioned, some of these service layers can be an add-on for Shippo on top. And that prevent, you know, basically provides an expansion opportunity for the company to continue to monetize and offer functionality to customers. But what Shippo needs to be able to do at the most fundamental level is make that connection between e-commerce platforms, the merchants on those e-commerce platforms, and the carriers. And if it can't do that well, then it doesn't have the trust, the functionality that, that people need to get their package from point A to point B. So it's not just because that offers a great monetization opportunity, you're really early, you can take a, a percentage of the, of basically the, the negotiated discount. Some of that Shippo will keep, some of that Shippo will pass on as an incentive to generate new business. But it really is part of the fundamental value proposition that why use Shippo is Shippo can't at a minimum make sure that you are able to connect immediately and reliably to all these different carriers. And to that same point, you mentioned the UX kind of platform component versus the API. Do you think it was a prerequisite to have both of those? And to what extent do you think that's applicable to the broader array of API businesses? 
Great question. It's not a prerequisite to have both. It simply depends on which customers you're trying to appeal to. So if you're looking to partner only with the enterprise or aggregators of SMBs, then you do not need to have anything beyond an API because those companies will have teams of developers that are well-versed in APIs and can use your API directly. If you are trying to appeal to small businesses, I do not think you will have much luck unless you can provide a user interface that is clear, intuitive, and easy to use. If you can't do that, I think it's very difficult to drive customer adoption and maintain a strong LTV to CAC ratio. How did, how did Shippo think about target customer from the perspective of technical versus non-technical users? Because I, I've had this conversation with a bunch of our portfolio companies and also prospective companies as well, where people are trying to resolve the tension between a developer-first product and often a non-technical buyer. Like, Was that a, a challenge that you had to face at Shippo? And how, how would you advise other companies to resolve that tension? I would say that It's sometimes surprising how that tension can still exist, even within the mid-market, that you would expect that once companies are doing, let's just call it $20 million in sales or maybe $50 million in sales a year, that you would expect them to be able to interface better with an API-first product. And so the real surprise for me doing this work over the years has been that even at that larger scale, it can be challenging for those teams to, to, to perhaps integrate using the APIs without as much handholding. So we have found both at Shippo and at other companies, I'm on the board at a company called Blackheart that does uh, try before mm-hmm. you buy payments. And uh, it's, uh, it's something where I think it can really serve businesses well to have implementation engineers, solutions engineers, these teams of technical folks who can really help onboard those customers and help them find success. So I think that is usually a way to address the, the lack of technical expertise. I would say that if you're trying to sell to a business that may only have 10 employees or fewer, and not one of those employees is technical, that you really should not be selling an API. If that's what you're doing and you're expecting those people to adopt in a relatively self-serve way, I think that will be quite challenging to, <laughs> to build a successful funnel around. So obviously we're in the business of trying to figure out where the next opportunities are. You mentioned Rudder. Obviously we're very bullish on opportunities for embedded commerce and the value of that e-commerce data to a variety of players, you know, whether it be e-commerce financing or, or dropshipping or, or else. But we're also starting to see a rapid proliferation of companies thinking about how to manage universal integrations with TMS and WMS and all of the XMSs that you mentioned, in addition to things like ELD data, et cetera. What do you think of these types of companies? And do you see any of these markets as being a little bit softer for entry at this point in time than others? Yeah, I think the WMS market's an interesting one, and it's changing a lot because of the needs of e-commerce. So we've historically seen a lot of change in the 3PL market, and then also some consolidation of the 3PLs that are more focused on e-commerce that are now integrating and uh, building their own WMSs or acquiring their own WMSs. So I think that where you see change, there's often opportunity. Ship Hero, Flex, Delivered, Stored, Ship Bob, Ship Monk. These are a lot more mm-hmm. sort of modern 3PLs and they have, I think, a lot more eagerness to 
embrace change. And they in fact have more of a necessity because their entire, the processes that they're enabling just look fundamentally different because they are trying to pave the way for this, this e-commerce world. And so, yeah, I do think that particularly in the WMS space and the 3PL space, there is a lot of opportunity and the 4PL space is an interesting one too, though, with very different users and and companies that would be the end customer. So I would I would say that if I were looking at this from the angle of what what to build next or what to fund next, I'd probably be focused on the 3PL WMS space. What what does that look like though as we as we kind of unpack building a venture scale business in one of these spaces? It's kind of like level one to me would be just data exchange. It's just I need to be able to read and write data to you know a, a large set of WMSs per se, which I can totally understand. A lot of the kind of next gen three PLs that you mentioned that are focused on e commerce would would get value from that. I think the trickier part is figuring out how you kind of parlay that into more of a service layer offering where you're able to take a percentage of a transaction per se. In the case of what you were mentioning with. Shippo or offer other services on top other than just kind of reading and writing data and taking a, a, a fee kind of based on that flow. Have you have you thought about that at all? Do you have a sense for you know what what a bigger opportunity might look like there? No, I haven't to be completely honest, but I do think that's a really interesting question. I would love to chat with you more about it offline. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Building for markets that don't necessarily exist. I mean, for a lot of these API businesses, even if you think about something like Twilio or Checker, I mean, a lot of the, the success that these companies found was from markets that were only just beginning to take off at the time that, that they were first going to market. You could think about something like you know Airbnb and, and, and Uber, for example, as huge drivers for, for these markets, really effectively were kingmakers for these API businesses, but it would have been very difficult to foresee that at the time that the initial seed checks were written. I'm curious, you know, how you, and I know you're also an investor in, in your um, free time as an angel. How do you think about investing in companies and picking winners in markets that just don't necessarily exist yet, particularly on the infrastructure side? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that when you build for something that is new and growing, and you are one of the first to create a solution, that that segment needs is a good position to be in. And so to use your checker example, background checks weren't something that were new. They've been happening for years and years. And yet Uber and Lyft and some of these other gig economy players were new and they had new evolving different needs that checker ultimately satisfied. And so I think that if you, as a founder, hitch your wagon to a car that's going pretty quickly down the highway, you'll get some speed out of it. So it is hard, I think, to always and accurately spot those trends as they are just starting to take off. But when you are able to build something new for these new growing companies, it can be a win for both. And I guess that's what you were pointing out a bit ago when you were talking about the opportunity in WMS with a lot of these digital 3PLs and the opportunity there where maybe in five or 10 years, we think about these companies the same way that we thought about, you know, Uber or, or Lyft or Airbnb, you know, 10 years ago. Exactly. I think that if you're trying to build something fresh on Shopify right now, now that Shopify has already grown to the extent that it has, 
it will be harder to succeed, certainly not impossible, than if you were building for Shopify six or seven years ago. And I think that timing is fairly important, that Spotify's rise was in large part thanks to a well-timed partnership with Facebook. And if you can find the right platform that you think is growing before others have done so, that can be, that can present a significant opportunity. This is a bit left field, but I'm, I'm curious to get your perspective. We've spent a lot of time thinking about globalization and the impact of that on the broader commerce ecosystem. We're start, we've noticed some trends in Shopify data actually around logistics providers in warehouses and a last mile in emerging markets trying to help with fulfillment in India and uh, a lot of countries in Southeast Asia and Africa, for example. And even backing up from that, you know, basic things like currency exchange, payments, you know, you know, finding delivery providers, et cetera, is still relatively challenging today for, you know, US-based merchants that want to move internationally, either to sell internationally or to source products internationally, you know, on the supply side. Have you thought at all about opportunities that might exist there for infrastructure or even beyond to try to close some of those gaps since it still seems relatively unfriendly to the average SMB seller today? Yeah, that is not a left field question. I think that's a highly relevant question and an important one. And it's a huge part of the trends that we're seeing. Shopify has launched its markets product, and that is, I think, a partial solution for their customers. And it's focused on the most in-demand markets where the most commerce is happening today. If you think about all of those problems that you listed though, it really comes from this challenge around fragmentation. So if you, and in some ways that's the, that's the entire reason why all these APIs are existing. Exactly, to I was gonna say easier. that's the core ingredient is fragmentation, yes. You're trying to solve fragmentation because an SMB, just getting back to the fundamental principle of why this ecosystem exists in the first place. If you're an SMB who is selling car parts or jewelry or alcohol that you've distilled from your distillery in Colorado, whatever it may be, you need to solve all of these problems just to sell this product and get it from where you've produced it to where people are, where your consumers are located. And that involves payments and fulfillment and shipping and all of these, the picking and the packing and the sorting and the, it's just a lot of different challenges that may not be your core competency. And you want to, and you want to do that as efficiently and as quickly as possible. And you can imagine that when you take it back to the international example, you just gave, that's a problem for everybody. It's not just a problem for the SMB merchant, but it's even a problem for these e-commerce platforms because they don't want to have to integrate with La Poste in France and also with the seven or eight different postage solutions that matter in Mexico. That's that's really in Yamato in, in Japan, like that's that's a real challenge. So that's where these third parties come into play. And these are third parties like Shippo that are working to aggregate these internationally. That comes into that's that's true for Twilio, which is doing it's a very similar business. It's just more focused on the SMS side of things and the 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 phone carriers. So mm-hmm. you have um this need to simplify the space as much as possible. And I think that a lot of these companies like Shopify are going to try to do it in-house where it is possible for them to do it efficiently. But if they want to have a single one-stop solution that solves all of their merchants' needs and only requires them to maintain a single partnership, then I think that prevents that provides a, a significant opportunity. And it's hard for companies to do everything at once. So if there are companies like Shippo that might be focused on 
the really major markets in which a lot of packages are moving. And you don't want to necessarily start competing with Shippo, but you want to do something that could be interesting in the space, then you might want to look at a market where it might be a little bit lower down on the priority list for the Shippos of the world, but will still add value. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity, particularly in emerging markets where you might see less competition, but ultimately that's the way that the world's going, where if we are going to be fairly globalized and want to enable packages or payments or any kind of transaction to occur across geographies and borders, then the companies that enable that to happen and aggregate and do that work to make it simple for the large and small customers alike will stand to gain. Well, that's that's actually exactly what I was going to dig into. And I know it's hard to draw clean lines all the time, but specifically for someone like Shippo, what portion of the world do you think Shippo owns and I don't, I don't literally mean portion of the world geographically, but just portion of the ecosystem that someone like Shippo owns moving forward versus where do you think there's actually an opportunity for an up and coming player? And I know you were hinting a bit at emerging markets, but I don't know the extent to which Shippo has prioritized uh, integrations with local carriers in some of these smaller markets. Some of these markets are much harder to serve than others. The US is one of the easiest markets to serve because it's a large geography and there are only a few players that drive most of the volume. So if you integrate with USPS, FedEx, UPS, and DHL, you are in great shape. There are still a lot of regional carriers and they matter for different reasons. So for example, if you're shipping perishable goods or anything that might have compliance requirements such as alcohol or firearms, then you're going to need something more specialized. Same is true for extra heavy or bulky or, or something more specific and, and narrow in, in terms of its scope. So there is value to having the regionals as well. But in other geographies, say Western Europe, you're talking about lots of different countries that each have their own governmental, often uh, shipping provider, say Royal Mail in the UK, but then also has a constellation of regionals too, say Hermes Mail, staying with the UK example. And that's a pretty tall order integrating with all of the ones that matter and then making sure that the cross-border experience is high quality. So I think you can assume that for most of these companies, for example, back in the day when I was at WooCommerce, mm-hmm. um, we were integrating with Stripe, but Stripe did not exist in most of the markets we needed. So it was not a, it was not a solution that would meet all of our needs. We had to also work with PayPal. We knew that Stripe was working as hard as they could to expand their footprint, but we also kind of knew where they were going to go next and where they weren't going to go for some time. So I think you can do something similar as a, as a startup and say, all right, it would make sense for Western Europe to be a next point of call for Shippo if they've already integrated with Australia Post and, and Canada Post and a few others. You can see a list on the website. Yeah. And to then just predict based on total number of packages sold and ease of of integration, how roughly long it will take. And that's just a Shippo example, but I do think that there is similar, like it was exactly the same with Stripe when Stripe was trying to expand their geographical footprint. And so it does present an opportunity for others to come up and especially if they want to be acquired down the road or they're open to that, then I think that's that's another perfectly good way to think about building a business. 
So we've been talking a lot about shipping, but outside of shipping, are there other key ingredients that you think need to be aggregated in this same way as you think about other commerce transactions? We talked a little bit about warehouses. I would imagine those same problems exist in an international context where you need to move goods, you know, from one warehouse to another country in Southeast Asia. And that's still, yes. you know, not, not an incredibly mm-hmm. easy thing to do today. We mm-hmm. talked a little bit about payments, but I'm, I'm curious if you just to kind of level up from this a little bit, if there are certain categories that you think folks really need to be thinking about in order to make international commerce easier outside of just shipping. Yeah, right now, customs is a real challenge. The The currency exchanges, I think, can be a challenge. So I think there's probably still more to be done on the payment side and making that easy. When borders are involved, things get a lot more complicated. And even when borders are not involved, as you mentioned yourself, with visibility across different warehouses and what the different inventory levels look like and um, how that can be balanced, The reason why I think supply chain is such an easy example to talk about is because things need to be precise. They need to be accurate. Um, Getting this right more often than not saves you money. Getting it wrong can be pretty disastrous. And so where the stakes are high, that means that the ability to, to really monitor and track and exchange that information quickly, the value is high. I would also say, though, that the willingness to pay can sometimes be lower because a lot of companies do see fulfillment. And supply chain is a, is a just a cost center, whether it is or not. Naturally, if you don't have the ability to get a product to somebody in the time frame they're expecting, they might yeah. go with another solution. So I don't well, think it's they're a new really... markets effectively. I mean, if you yes. if you today can't sell to you know China, that's a problem, right? For for a lot of these companies, it's a it's a massive market that they're missing out on. It is, and I think that some companies are starting to see this as not a cost center as an opportunity for them to expand their sales and to attract new customers and to um, open up new geographies. But I don't, I don't always see, I don't always see the willingness to pay in part because especially when you're trying to work with older companies, as you mentioned, this goes back to an earlier part of our conversation around your first companies, your first early adopters and customers might not look the same as, as the ones that you need later, the scale and that that certainly can be a challenge when you're working with some of these older companies or companies that really have gotten used to seeing supply chain as, as a cost center because they can be very cost conscious. So I want to hit on one final point um, that you brought up early in your list. You mentioned customs. And it's actually interesting. We, we've, we've done a fair amount of research on customs automation, which I, I think is, is an incredibly niche topic. There aren't a lot of folks that are thinking about this specifically, right? But there is some talk about building universal infrastructure for customs. And there's a lot of difficulty that I can get into. And if folks want, um, we can um, share some of the research as well for folks to be able to read and dig into in terms of um, some of the universal standards that folks are pursuing with respect to customs and trade. But I'm just curious, given your perspective on the ecosystem, where you see the biggest opportunities specifically with respect to customs? There has been a pretty quickly changing landscape here, and with new legislation comes new opportunities. And certainly, maybe a year, year and a half ago, a number of countries started passing, including the European Union, started passing more um, requirements around manifests and customs requirements. And so that created a new demand for, for what APIs would have to be able to enable in terms of information sharing and required completely new processes as well for some of these these cross-border transactions. 
and I and am not an expert just, on that. <laughs> so the rest of the audience knows, just to be clear, what, what kind of data um, at a high level are you talking about? You're talking about reporting on the contents of packages to exactly. different customs authorities. Is that exactly. a, a simple way to explain it? Yes, that is a very clear and simple way to explain it. And now with much more detailed requirements as to what those what those reports look like, it makes it quite hard for companies to immediately comply and to change their their entire workflows to enable that reporting. If companies can make that easy and can actually get ahead of it and tell the e-commerce platforms or the fulfillment partners or the carriers what needs to change and when to get ahead of these new compliance requirements, then I think that while it doesn't sound very sexy, <laughs> no, it's it very sounds important. like a great business, frankly. And yeah, it's, <laughs> it's very interesting. Well, I, I just think we've been, we, we, it's been such a pleasure to be able to talk to you about this. And I know founders are going to get a ton of value from all of these nuggets, and particularly on the infrastructure side uh, as they start their businesses. Why don't we wrap up with just two things? One, what do you wish founders knew uh, about commerce and e-commerce more broadly before starting companies in the space? And what advice would you give founders um, who are getting ready to embark on this journey of building the next commerce unicorn? Yeah, I would say that it's a growing space. Don't forget that not everything needs to be built for the the end merchant. Do keep in mind these less visible but critically important parts of the chain because they can be your customers as well. And I would also say that you don't have to build something fundamentally new to succeed either. To be completely honest, Shippo, the entire solution suite had already existed before the company got started. It was just under various parts of stamps.com's overall company umbrella. And so Shippo has still done an exceptional job at growing. Valuation is now well over a billion and, and rapidly continuing to increase from there in terms of just the total number of customers added and total amount of GPV, which is the shipping version of GMV. So sometimes just executing well is enough to set you apart from some of these other players and executing well is, I think, easier said than done. So that sort of transitions into the second part of your question, which is what to keep in mind. I think that we often encourage new, perhaps inexperienced founders who may not have industry experience to who might be very good at thinking outside the box to, to get into this space. But I also think that we should be equally welcoming of people who have worked in the industry and have seen some of the pain points directly and have experience executing and operating. And I think that when those two types of people get together, that's when perhaps the, the most magical moments of all take place. Well, Catherine, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for, for joining us on Future Proof and super excited to be able to call you a colleague on the Basis Set team. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Sage and tactical advice today from Catherine, who has spent years in the trenches at the forefront of innovation in supply chain. The commerce ecosystem is massive. 
so massive that the sector can sustain entire infrastructure unicorns, building nothing but the tools and services enabling commerce businesses, and in some cases, even the service providers around them, to focus on their core competencies. It's prime time to create new APIs, customs automation, and cross-border fulfillment and payments infrastructure that supports more streamlined but globally capable supply chains. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Future Proof. We'll be posting more episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. And if you're hungry for more BSV research, check out basisset.com. <laughs>